Hey listeners, just before we get started on this Sound of Freedom episode, just know that a lot of news came out right after we published this, and we also learned a lot more about this topic. So just know that in the following episode on Deborah King, we have a bit of an update with more info on Sound of Freedom and Tim Ballard. So check it out. That's right. Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal. No, we take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy, and I'm back, people. Hey, welcome back. Thank you. This feels like a moment of freedom. Oh, absolutely. Paca! Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. What was that? That was the sound of freedom. It was an eagle. (laughs) And, and it makes the sound, <laughs> I've never been around an eagle, but probably. Well, I've heard that whenever you see an eagle in a film, they actually play like a hawk noise for it instead. Oh. Because bald eagles don't actually make that regal of a sound. Let's look it up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're already distracted. <laughs> okay, I have found Call of a Bald Eagle on YouTube. Let's hear it. Okay, hold on. Oh, no. (laughs) It's the sound of freedom. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, fair. Fair enough. Because the bald eagle is our national bird in the United States. And, of course, we are the country of freedom. Yes, of course. The true country of freedom. The uh, the country with the most number of its own population behind bars is officially (laughs) the country of freedom. You heard it here. Yeah, I I might nominate like the Netherlands as the country of freedom. Yeah, there you go. Well, we are the home of the free and the brave. Yes. And the home of the film Sound of Freedom. Sort of, yeah. That's what we were getting to. It was made. It was financed here. Oh, true. I guess I was thinking this is appropriate of nothing, but I was just thinking like, where does a film live, and like, where does digital media live? You know, when you think about it. Whoa. Yeah, that's where. That's yeah, where I no, went immediately for no reason. That's very deep. Well, <laughs> there's this movie called Sound of Freedom. Yes. That has uh, sort of taken the world by storm. You might say the storm is coming <laughs> because it's it's also really tied into a bunch of. QAnon stuff. So in, ca- right. in case you were wondering, like, why is Ross and why is Carrie talking about this? That's why we're going to get to that. But- yeah. So let me tell you what I knew about The Sound of Freedom when you mentioned it and mm-hmm. said, like, hey, maybe we watch it for the show. I had heard there is a, a movie that is ostensibly about Operation Underground Railroad, a sex trafficking nonprofit. And that movie misrepresents their adventures in Hmm. supposedly rescuing kids from sex trafficking. And the movie is at least liked and celebrated by the QAnon crowd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my understanding, I I wouldn't have been able to name the organization or anything like that, but I knew that it was really popular amongst churches and that it was made by like the same people who financed a lot of films about Jesus or like a TV series about Jesus called The Chosen, which has been recommended to me and I have waiting for me to watch. Actually, Mm. I am interested in watching this, but also I knew that it had gotten a lot of press for becoming like this huge breakout success. It was a small budget film, 
but it made a bunch of money and it was all through like the churches saying, this is the kind of content we want. Buy tickets for you and your friends. Right, right. This whole pay it forward program we'll talk about. And also I knew that this was kind of a cause celeb of the political right Mm -hmm. and the church is this idea of uh, focusing on child sexual trafficking Mm -hmm. and bringing awareness to this. But I had some understanding that these claims are kind of overblown. But how mm-hmm. much? I don't know. Yeah. Nobody likes child sex trafficking. That's bad. Well, some people like the it, people the who do it. Yeah. yeah. But most of us are firmly against that. Sure. I will give child sex trafficking an official thumbs down. Yeah, zero um, star rating. Yeah. Child sex trafficking. But it's interesting because I first heard of Operation Underground Railroad before I ever heard of The Sound of Freedom. Oh. And I heard of them because a woman who worked for Operation Underground Railroad was running the book club at Bessel van der Kolk's trauma nonprofit. Oh. And he is very, very left and talks all the time about how much he hates Donald Trump. Huh. And that is absolutely the environment he cultivates like in his seminars and all yeah. of his followership, extremely left. So there are some strange bedfellows sharing a bed. Maybe, yeah. So when I heard like, oh, this is a right wing film that's about Operation Underground Railroad. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, gosh, my association with Operation Underground Railroad is through a, a leftist angle. Mm, so that's mm-hmm. interesting. So other things we can say about Sound of Freedom is that stars Jim Caviezel, who's uh-huh. well known for being in The Count of Monte Cristo. I think that's like his most kind of mainstream normal film that he starred in, but also, of course, Passion of the Christ, in which he played Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. who happens to share his initials, J.C., So when we talk about JC in this episode, that's Jim Caviezel. We're not talking about my friend JC, the barista who works at the coffee shop down Mm. the hill from me. Okay. We don't mean that, JC. No relation? No. And uh, it came out this year. They'd finished the film years ago, Like 2018 or something. Yeah, so it's been done for like five years, and apparently they just had a hell of a time getting it out into the public eye. Mm. So that was another interesting factor, And, and there seems to be this kind of narrative about it being kept from the people, that the studios want to squash it, the Hollywood elite don't want you to see this. Mm-hmm. All the more impetus for the church folk to buy extra tickets for this and pay those tickets forward to others. It came out this year, 2023, for those of you in the future. Hello. I hope it's I hope it's good future you're <laughs> living in. past. Any time travelers, we don't want to rule you out. Sure. Yeah, just let us know you're here. Send us, <laughs> send us a message if you are from the past. That is interesting. I don't know how Perfect. we'll get your message. If you're from another dimension. <laughs> we want to be please. inclusive. <laughs> please email. So it came out on July 4th this year and mm-hmm. was a... What a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. The, a film about freedom and it came out... Yeah. <laughs> Total coincidence. Yeah, what what day of the week was July 4th this year? Now I'm curious. Oh, that's a good... Actually, you know what? I think it was a Saturday, which is a reasonable... No, Tuesday. Oh, Oh, it was. Oh, I'm sorry. That's unusual. So they really did want it to come out on 4th of July. (laughs) On a Tuesday. Yeah, that's unusual. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember... It's the day the emails pile it up. I may have whined about this before, but the original Thor film uh-huh. came out on a Friday like most films oh, do. Oh, I remember. I, I like, remember because you were very upset. <laughs> like, there is a day of the week named after your title character. Thor is a day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully... I don't know. I never pass that feedback along except to people like you could do nothing about it. But 
How dare you? I'm sorry. I I underestimate your your reach. But when the second film came out, it did come out on a Thursday, Thor's Day. So um, enough people made uh, clamor, I guess. I think our friend Jared was also very upset about that. Oh, good. Shout out. Jared's a good egg. (laughs) He gets it. He is. He is, and he does. Okay, so this came out on the 4th of July, and I think one of the big news items was that it earned more money that particular day than the new Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I still haven't seen that. Which, it wasn't its first day out, but it was new-ish. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is a big Mm -hmm. deal. Like, this Mm -hmm. tiny little indie, small-budget film is performing way better than the Hollywood elites want you to, you know, they were all against it, and they tried to stop it from succeeding. Now, is this an empty seats situation or is this people are actually all going and sitting in these seats, not just buying these tickets? Good question. And as far as I can tell, a bit of both. (laughs) Okay. So the production budget is $14.5 million to produce. I don't know what was spent on like advertising or what have you. But as of... It's not very much money for um, a movie, big movie. This morning or whenever I checked... $210.5 million worldwide. Whoa, that's quite a return on investment. Yeah, that's 14.5 times the 14.5 million it costs. Yeah, that's a very good return on investment, which you don't know too much about the film yet, but you can already anticipate there will be more like it Mm because it made money. I I realized I said a crazy thing. I said $15 million isn't that much for a movie. And then I was like, where am I getting that? What's, how much is, uh, how much does a Disney movie cost to make? Well, I'm not supposed to talk about that, but it's like 160 million. Okay. Okay. So I am right that it is a lower budget. Oh yeah. That would be considered low budget. Of course there are smaller films than that even. You can make a movie on your iPhone. Making a movie right now as we're talking. (laughs) It's about your cat, Golly. Another fun part of the story was that it was produced by this studio called Angel Studios. Yes. And it was their second theatrical release. Oh, wow. Yeah, their first one was His Only Son. Guess what it was about? (laughs) Uh, God and his little baby boy, Jesus. Jesus, yeah, which came out earlier the same year on Easter. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Next one comes out on Halloween. Then we have a St. Paddy's Day movie. Yeah, exactly. They're (laughs) they're hitting all of the uh, holidays or holy days, I should say. So um, Yeah, July 4th is their high, I, you know, first high holy day. I want to put it past them yeah. to call that a holy day. Yeah. But that was the first film to use their pay it forward platform. And I guess however they're structured, mm-hmm. they're allowed to do this kind of thing where essentially you get people who are excited about the film to go in and buy tickets for other people. So if you need a ticket, take a ticket. If you can yeah, offer a ticket, cool. you buy it. Yeah, sure. I, I kind of like that model. It, it's kind of like um, Max Fun saying you can give those memberships to, to you know, an anonymous community member right. who comes in and claims that they need it. Yeah, very similar. But I guess it's not something that normally most Hollywood studios can right, pull right. off financially. Mm-hmm. But apparently it made at least $12 million just that way. Wow. People's- oh, so almost made its money back just through asking for money. Yeah. And uh, a lot of well-meaning church folks like sponsoring groups to go out. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's all get together and go see this. This is important. It's about the children. Save the children. And apparently some of those tickets did go unused. So there was a fair amount of like tickets that were purchased, but never actually like wasn't a butt in the seat to correspond Mm -hmm. to that Mm -hmm. ticket. I think this is telling. It got a 60% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, that's not very good. But the audience score, what do you guess? Okay, there's no way for anyone to confirm whether 
they actually saw the movie, right? Correct. 83. 99. Oh, wow. So yeah, people were like really motivated to say, I saw this movie and I loved it. I'm just surprised there weren't more people who got in there and were just, even if they hadn't seen it, were like, this is propaganda. You usually see a lot of that with these controversial films. Yeah, I think in this case, just one side of the controversy was maybe more motivated to put their their mark on it. But, you know, 60% is still considered fresh on the tomato meter. So So overall, the critical response was positive, but, you know, kind of middling. Okay. And we mentioned it stars Jim Caviezel, mm-hmm. JC. Do you know why? Because. Because. He's very invested in this topic. Okay. The, the, the true. Oh, and the guy who the film is based on, and they use his name in the film, Tim Ballard, he was asked who should play him, and he, ins- yes. he insisted. Well, he said that's who he'd like, yeah. He said, I guess Count of Monte Cristo is his favorite movie. So when they asked, who would you want to play you in the biopic of you? He said, the guy from that. And they were like, he looks nothing like you. But they got him in the makeup seat and did their movie magic and they were able to make it work. Well, and I wouldn't say they look nothing like each other. They're in the ballpark. They're Well, in the movie, I think he looks like him. Yeah. Like but they, they, they do a good job in that makeup chair. They do his hair up to look like Tim Ballard's. And mm-hmm. uh, you've got to say both good looking guys. And it's funny because the movie has a few scenes where it just sort of lingers on look at this good looking guy very much so in this very we got a hot actor in this beautiful portrait lighting yeah him and this other guy who actually is a producer of the film and kind of plays sort of a financier within the movie plot as mm, well mm-hmm. another really good looking guy and both of them there's just these long slow scenes where it's just like let's look at him let's bask in his glory look yeah, how the light is now that i think about it, it's pretty weird because there's very little of that on oscar winner mira sorvino <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> he's she's... like kind of barely in the movie and is also stunning she's in the film for maybe all of two minutes yeah she's barely there i wonder if she made a really sweet deal with them she's like i'll be on set for 25 minutes but apparently this is a cause she cares about as well yeah she was a big deal in the 90s and i feel like she's stuck around and and been active one thing i do know is that a friend of mine went to high school with her and had a crush on her then and you know obviously had good taste sure sure she ended up being mira sorvino yeah 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 mighty aphrodite and uh and apparently she's held on to her faith it was a catholic school where they went to school and Interesting. Uh, anyway, so I guess we should talk about the substance of this film. Yeah. The Sound of Freedom. Oh, no, not the. Sound of Freedom. Oh, there's no the. Yeah, it's just Sound of Freedom. Oh, no. You can't do that. It's like the Sound of Music. Yeah. Does that have the? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, so what is Sound of Freedom actually about? What happens? The Sound of Freedom. Nope. Sound of Freedom. <laughs> 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 Okay, is a nonfiction film about a nonprofit called Operation Underground Railroad that does liberation attempts in Central and South America to get kids out of sex trafficking situations. Yeah, and they say that it's based on a true story. That's the very first thing you see. And of course, there's always some artistic license whenever you're making a film, you've got to compress 
schedules, flip things around, you combine some characters, you separate some characters. So you expect some of that. But, you know, for the most part, it's supposed to be based on a true story about this guy named Tim Ballard, who is the main character played by Jim Caviezel. And he is, like you say, a child rescuer. And he had been working for Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. And the story approximately is like that he has some opportunity to go overseas to continue his efforts to recover missing children. And he wants to stay there, but the government says, like, no, you have to come back. And he's like, well, then I'm quitting my job, and I'm going to found this OUR, the Operation Underground Railroad, to allow me to stay here and pursue this case and create a sting where I can get a bunch of these pedophiles, round them up, and uh, save the children and send these bad guys to jail. And that is how both Tim Ballard and Tim Ballard's likeness in the film, how they refer to these people. They're Bad always guys. saying pedophiles, yes. not just like, I don't know, this always drives me crazy a little bit. So that's just describing someone's sexuality. We're not saying anything about how they behaved mm. when we say pedophile. And mm-hmm. you know, what you mean is like child sex trafficker. Yeah. But anyway. Um, Both customers and, but you know, more, oh, sure, more importantly, people who are setting up the system or, you know, right. on the production end. Right. Rather than the consumer. End. Right. Yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, apparently there's, a few different missions that are sort of conflated a bit into the story. Again, as you might expect, there's this very insidious setup of kids who, at least the the two main characters are like a boy and his sister. And this pretty lady spots them and says, oh, they'd be great as child models. Uh, why don't you bring them by for the day? And so the father comes with his kids. Yeah, okay, that's cool. They'll take photos, earn money for the family. And then when he comes back at seven, because they tell him, no, you're not allowed. Uh, you, you've got to come back later. So he leaves his kids, but he sees the other kids there. So he thinks it's okay. He comes back at seven that night. And they're gone. Mm-hmm. Just the building is empty. And now his kids are never to be seen again. And then Tim Ballard gets wind of this in the U.S. as he's investigating a child pornographer and, like, gets him to jail and then pretends that he's secretly attracted to children as well and tries to gain the confidence of this this guy. Finally, like, gets the guy to kind of name a source overseas and he ends up going to... Uh, there's elements of the story in multiple places. So, like, part of the story takes place in... Honduras and part in Cartagena, Colombia. He goes there and like we mentioned, the government says, okay, well, you've you've done what you can, come back. And apparently he then talks to his wife over the phone, the uh, Academy Award winning Mira Sorvino. I, oh, maybe, maybe. Uh, I'm so sorry if I got this wrong, Mira. Maybe she was nominated. She won Best Supporting Actress. Oh, there you go. Best Supporting Actress, Mira Sorvino. Yes, in what? <laughs> oh, she won for Mighty Aphrodite. I love that movie. Hey, okay. Good for her. Uh, so she tells him, don't you dare come back until you do this. And Tim Ballard, the the real life figure, has said that his wife not only said that, but said, don't you dare jeopardize my salvation Whoa! by not coming back with those children. Interesting. Well, this might tie in with another one of our investigations and something they don't mention in the film, but Tim Ballard happens to be... Mormon. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I kept thinking about during this movie, because one of the criticisms of Operation Underground Railroad is that it, ha- that it has elements of just securing adoptions for parents in the U.S. Mm. who might kind Kind of like this adventurous origin story. Mm, mm. Um, oh, that there's a suspicion that maybe the story is a bit oversold just to 
facilitate the adoptions? Yeah, I'm not arguing for this point of view, but I have heard that. Interesting. Okay, I haven't and heard that. the Mormon angle kind of made me see how people could get there because the Mormons are so into <laughs> expanding their families yeah. for the purpose of like getting a better station in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, saying you better come back with those kids for my eternal salvation. It sounds very Mormon. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, and, and I think it was also like, this is something you have to do. This is something you're called by God to do. You were put in this situation. You mm-hmm. know, so it's kind of a sweet story. But did you catch how many children they have, the real-life couple? Tim Ballard? or Yeah, Tim Ballard. No. Eight? They have seven natural-born children, and then they adopted two children from, you know, situations. Wow, nine. Uh, or, you know, rescue situations. That's over eight children. That's, that is over eight <laughs> children, yes. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's a lot. It's 12.5% more. Yeah, thank you <laughs> for doing that for me. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. This is the service I provide. I mean, at least in those families, they really train the older kids to take care of the younger kids. So you have like you know, more internal rhythm mm. to the system in those families, yeah. I think. But, it oh my God, still nine. I'm Ooh. sure that was great on the prairie too when you needed to like, mm-hmm. you know, have people work in the farm, mm-hmm. out in the fields. Mm-hmm. Now it feels a little, it stands out. It stands out. You said it. Anyway, so he meets this boy that he had seen in this video and apparently this is based on the real story. So like, poor guy, I can imagine like for his job, he needed to like watch these videos and catalog what happens. And so then he, for the first time, met like the subject of one of these. So then this is really weird. And I think this is part of the the film's artistic license where he ends up being at the border at just the right moment to intercept that child from the guy who has him. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Clearly, you know, that was just a convenience for the film. But yeah, he rescues him. And so the boy's name is Miguel, at least in the film. And he, when he finds the boy, the boy is wearing a necklace that his sister gave him. It had like a scripture verse from Timothy. Yes, Timoteo. Yeah, so Tim Ballard, who speaks Spanish because he served his mission in Chile. Again, they don't say that in the film. He says, oh, you can call me Timoteo. And the boy's like, oh, that's you. It says it right here. Why is your name on my... It's a sweet moment, apparently Mm -hmm. a true story. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he gets to return the boy to his dad, but now we have the problem of the missing sister. So he goes off looking for her and uh, keeps like just kind of missing her. Tim Tim does, not the little boy. Yeah, yeah. The Mm -hmm. little boy is now returned to his father and, um, you know, we assume in recovery. And so we keep cutting back and forth to like kind of seeing her and seeing him try to like flush her out, find her and who she's with. And so in, in the meantime, he's setting up these stings to rescue other children, hoping she'll be there and she's not. And there's this really big one where they they build this whole island and get financing for it. And they're going to, like, bring in these super rich people to pay $100,000 for membership so that they can abuse these children. And, and it's supposed to be like a child brothel kind of thing. Yeah, a private yeah. island. So they're asking that supermodel lady. And apparently she's based on a real person involved in this story called Kelly Suarez, who was a Miss Cartagena mm. that was involved in this Oh, yeah, I think I saw ring. this woman's photo. Yeah. Who had been luring children and all these other peddlers. He had been getting them to like, no, we need at least 50 children, I, I think it was. So he wanted all of those children to be shipped to this island, and then he was going to have the feds come in. Or not, not the feds, but... Um, 
the CTI, I assume like child trafficking, something that starts with an I. And, and at first, the supplier says he can only get like 14 or 15 kids. But Tim kind of pushes him, has a suspicion that there are actually more kids kind of in tow. Mm-hmm. And that's when he pushes for the 50 or so. And then this guy supplies them. That story brings to mind entrapment questions for me. Yeah. But but nevertheless, 50 real children, it appears, show up in this equation. Yeah. And the final number they give in the film is 54, are rescued. And apparently in real life, not all of those were underage. You know, it was a smaller percentage of them that were actually... So that's another, you know, artistic license uh, of the film, oh, making it look say- like they were all small children. Oh, okay. Not all of them were underage, so he said? Right. Ah, Okay. It's all horrible, of course, but I think it's just... It matters to know, though. Yeah, it's an example of a little bit of the sort of shifting of the numbers and Uh the representation that I think are building towards sort of making the problem sound even bigger and worse than it is. It could be. The age of consent thing is going to matter a tremendous amount because if you're talking about an adult in a sex work position, you don't want to mistake that person for a sex trafficking victim. So, right. yeah, and, yeah. And if it's someone who's an adult or a young adult and they've been doing this for a long time, then they've been previously trafficked as an underage person and now are being trafficked. Oh, you know, could, could be. Yeah, yeah you know, be. I'm sure it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Anyways, there's, there's also these like really tense moments where like one of the traffickers, and you assume something like this would happen, wants to abuse one of the children. Mm-hmm. And there's like a super tense standoff moment. And just, you know, in case anybody wants to see this film after after hearing this review, just know that they never show any actual abuse happening on screen. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of suggestion, but it is PG-13. They find a way to always just evade the situation or prevent it. Uh, anyways, so now he's still trying to figure out how do I find this girl? So he ends up sneaking into this cartel in the middle of the jungle all by himself, mm-hmm. pretending to be a doctor. And then he single-handedly, it turns into like kind of this, I don't know. Oh, indie. he pretended to be a doctor? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't yeah. even clock that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he had this whole story about how like, oh, we're here to give vaccinations. And so they only let one. Oh, you know what? I just thought like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't know there were doctors too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so he, trusting. He does it all. I know. That really is. I was like, oh, I guess. Okay. So I guess they train you to be a doctor too in these situations. I don't know I what mean, I thought. They had to look somewhat okay. credible. So they were supposed to be like, there were two of them from the UN and it was this other guy who uh, is a part of the film, but not worth explaining in any detail right now. I check people's credentials for a living. You could just like <laughs> still just float by me in a boat and be like, I'm a doctor. And I'd be like, yes, so. These are my vaccines. Well, that's... <laughs> Essentially, what the guards with guns did is they said, okay, well, you come with us. You have to stay here. One of you has to leave. And so they they pick Tim and bring him in. And then it turns into like this uh, superhero movie where he kind of creeps around in the darkness, finds her, and then comes back later to rescue her. But she lets out a scream. And so... The bad guy. Uh, sorry, spoilers. I'm spoiling everything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Why are you here if you don't want to? <laughs> it's, it's hard to see this movie anyway. We'll get to that. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, so then he's going to abscond with her to get her back to her family. And then, of course, it's the the boss, the jefe, as they're calling him, who's running this whole operation. He's the one who's taken her under his wing and paid good money for her. So he comes to take advantage of her. And so then... 
Tim sneaks out of the darkness and kills the guy. Like, they fight, and somehow the guy doesn't call his guards. I don't know. None of this seemed quite plausible. Turns out this part didn't happen. Uh-huh. Uh, he didn't kill the guy. He, th- this particular rescue, I don't think, was the thing. So he gets her. They escape on a boat just in time, and none of the bullets hit them as they escape. And he's able to reunite the father with both of his children. So that part didn't happen? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. At least certainly not in that way. Okay. It wasn't like the lone person running off into the cartel area. Sure. And killing a man and running away with the missing child. I think that was invention. Okay. Because, yeah, it was kind of hard to fact check this film. Yes. Yeah, there's a few reasons for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of it because Operation Underground Railroad tends to to hide details because they say, well, we don't want to give up any details that would help us save children. Uh-huh. So they're not always forthcoming about things. They uh, don't want to release pictures of the kids of these victims of sex trafficking. Which all that's fair. Would make sense. But also they receive a lot of money and donations. We're talking like tens of millions of dollars and it's not always entirely sure where that money goes or mm-hmm. like if you ask them to kind of give accounting of that they'll just give you like a list of countries where they have operations uh but yeah there seems to be very little you know transparency about like how the funds are being used yeah fair enough i mean nonprofits are kind of like that though i mean you you can look at like which programs they're putting mm-hmm. their money toward very broadly in their tax filings but in general we just kind of trust them to internally do what they say they're doing Hmm. yeah i don't know i when i was trying to look at the fact checking complaints about this movie yeah if you will i don't know they didn't really add up for me i was like mostly it seems like tim ballard does like a little bit of pr spin yeah but in a way that's so familiar his stories get a little sweeter in the telling yeah, it's a little bit of a big fish kind of a thing, but it's not like a made-up thing. Yeah, he's clearly a badass who's done some really cool oh, wow. child okay. rescues. Like, yeah, I'll, okay. I'll call him a badass. Like, you know, he's gotten himself in some really horrible situations and done good things, like save children. Like, I'm, okay. I believe that, and I'm uh-huh. signing on to that. But it does seem like sometimes he'll let the Operation Underground Railroad take credit for things that they didn't actually do, Mm -hmm. or he'll exaggerate the details of a story. Like there was one where he kept talking about this girl, and I guess in some venues he would sort of mention them rescuing her, but it turns out she escaped on her own. And then like he'll make her seem younger than she is. Like it'll be something that Mm. happened 10 years previous, and now she's like in her early 20s, and they'll make it sound like she's still at home. Okay. Sorry. I think I know the woman you're talking, the girl you're talking about, but I... I don't know. When I went back and like looked at that story, it reminded me so much, frankly, of working at PETA. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so much. Yeah. Because like, listen, I worked at PETA. It was complicated. A little uh, bit of lying for Jesus kind of situation. No. Well, that I mean, not that that didn't happen, but like a... Curation? I, I, yeah. I need to get my copy tight and clear. My reader doesn't want explicit details about how the cat got from this lady's house all the way to care. Mm. Okay, we helped get that cat out of this bad situation, and now it's in this situation. We liberated the cat. We saved the cat. We saved the cat, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. like, 
are you taking more credit than you should? Maybe if like you were having a long conversation with your friend about it and all you said was you saved the cat. But yeah. like in PR copy where you have like three paragraphs. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like you shared a interview with me where he was saying, okay, she got out on her own and sorry, I was just kind of abbreviating the story here, here and here. Mm-hmm. But elsewhere, I told it correctly, you know, mm-hmm. get off my back kind of thing. Uh, but also like he would say that she had been that she had been raped what was it 30 to 40 times per day which was whoa double the number that was in the court documents and her account of the story which those are horrific numbers yeah whatever but just that he'd kind of doubled it either in his mind or in retelling or something yeah i don't know i i thought you were gonna say like that was much further off yeah double i don't know that doesn't change much for me I, i just think that there. There's a small inclination that he has to sweeten the stories, but I don't think mm-hmm. it totally invalidates. Yeah, yeah, that's how the good I, that he does. Y- y- per- yeah, perhaps I, I just don't know what the the f- the fact checking piece of it. I felt like oh, this guy's like more or less passing. Mm-hmm. The bigger picture of who this guy is and where he belongs to American politics and what he's trying to get done and all of that, I think is probably where it gets sticky because this guy's running for office. <laughs> you know, he's he was an advisor to President Trump. Yeah, there's a video of Trump with Ballard where Ballard is partly telling that story of that same person and using that to promote building the wall Saying, right. And that's one of his major talking points is that the most compassionate border is a secure border mm-hmm. because he feels that and he singles out the Biden administration for this, but he feels that they will even aid the traffickers and that they'll let people through the border and then someone will speak up as their sponsor and they'll, with taxpayer money, send the child to that person who's the sponsor. And he's implying there that this sponsor is often the abuser. I, I see. Right. I, don't, I don't know if that's true. Gotcha. By the way, I'll just say that uh, Operation Underground Railroad Incorporated has 100% on Charity Navigator. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, though, Tim Ballard left Operation Underground Railroad in 2019. Right. And I don't know, I saw various accounts that seemed to be insinuating that they were uncomfortable with some of the overblown claims. And that was the reason maybe why he was dismissed as because he was the founder Right. That, that maybe like why he had to leave as CEO. I don't feel like I got a solid answer on that. Mm, okay. Oh, I see. Uh, Motherboard wrote about this. It's um, the byline is Anna Merlan and Tim Marchman. And it says, by one account, he'd gone to donors in a state of upset, saying that he'd been forced out and asking for their help with a new organization. Another person who's worked with the group said, to the best of their knowledge, he was no longer with OUR and was focusing on his work with the Nazarene Fund, a Glenn Beck-backed organization that is focused on religious minorities in the Middle East, but has more recently operated in Afghanistan and stepped away from Operation Underground Railroad prior to the launch of the film. Yeah, which is interesting because the film itself, which, as we said, was completed in 2018 and then shopped around, you know, it still promotes Operation Underground Railroad, Mm -hmm. has their website on it. Uh, So, you know, I guess it was just kind of too late to remove that as part of the package since they had this film that was done. So this is part of the, the story, too, around this film is that it was originally sponsored by Fox. They had been behind the film during its production. But then when Disney acquired Fox, they just discontinued it. 
weren't seeking to release it or finish it or whatever. And so then the filmmaker... So you did this. Yeah, it was me. (laughs) Funny, considering I'd never heard about this until uh, (laughs) everybody else did. And so they tried to like shop it to Amazon and Netflix. And they not only turned it down for funding, but they've elected not to stream it. Yeah, which is unusual, you know? For a successful film. Yeah, to not even get on like Amazon Prime. They'll take anything. Right. They will take anything. Like as we're recording this two and a half months after the initial release, if you want to see it it's hard yeah you have to go find one of the few theaters still showing it which i did in van nuys or you have to marry someone who has magical ways to get movies in front of you in the wrong language with subtitles uh yeah it's not available for streaming it's not on your roku tv you can't see it that way Uh, i get i get why some people would react to that as like why are you keeping people from seeing the movie yes so this has sparked this whole kind of conspiracy theory about how, again, Hollywood's trying to bury this, doesn't want people to see it. The implication being is that Hollywood smiles upon child trafficking. And that's why. Oh, oh, interesting. I just took that as like, they don't want to deal with the right V lift of this. The politicization. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That that makes sense too. Like, well, we don't want this hot button topic and we're going to get slammed from either side, no matter what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. But yeah, it is seen as persecution. And there was this rash of conspiracy theories that rose up even around AMC, the theater chain. Ah. Where people were posting TikTok videos that got like millions of views saying things like the air conditioner was off at the theater (laughs) and or they refunded my tickets because the air conditioning was off. I wonder why the air conditioning went off. Interesting. (laughs) It was on in the lobby. And there was another person... I'd like to think that that really was like an AMC employee, that that person had just been a nightmare to for 25 minutes. And finally, they're like, I'm just turning the AC off and sound of freedom where that guy is. There was one person who had had their tickets refunded, but then they called back and they said, oh, yeah, well, we're having problems with the theater, but you can still watch it if you want. And they're like, okay, yeah, well, we want to. And they watched the movie. Some other people came out and said, I didn't realize till the end, but the lights were on the whole time. They didn't want us to see the film. It's like, you <laughs> saw the film. You didn't even know how on were these lights. Oh, um, there, humans are paranoid. There was another one where like alarms had gone off. And they're like, oh, see what's happening right now? It's like uh, the, the CEO of AMC had to like tweet about this or X about this or whatever you do now and say, this is absurd. Mm-hmm. Like, here's how many... Tens of thousands of people saw the movie at AMC's. We're like the number one collaborator of theaters for this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the the conspiracy is theory where... is so strong with, I would say, this crowd yeah. that any little thing, even if it didn't keep them from seeing the film, was seen as like this obstruction effort. Um, do they hate Nicole Kidman yet? Oh, you know, I haven't heard her. She's the face of AMC. <laughs> she sure is. Um, I haven't seen her implicated. Thankfully, she's escaped the, what do you call that? Kickback, flashback, lashback. Uh, um, backlash. Back- <laughs> Thankfully, she's escaped the backlash. Yeah. She's inhuman. There was also a tweet that was saying, I'm an AMC employee, and I was given the substance to insert into the beverages of people seeing the movie, and I refused. But I looked it up later, and there were nanobots in it. (laughs) What was the substance? Uh, Is this like the cherry additive in the cola? Turns out it was a fake post from a few years earlier that was just repurposed for this. Okay. Yep. You know what I wish Tim Ballard would do? 
we should just produce a high quality website. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. Thank you. It needed to be said. We were all thinking it. (laughs) If he just had a clean, beautiful Squarespace website, then we could take in his argument. We could evaluate it rationally. Mm -hmm. It would be out there in the marketplace of ideas. Maybe he's already done this. I haven't looked at his website, but I'm sure it could be better if it's not made by Squarespace. It could be more beautiful. He could be engaging with his audience. He could sell anything, Mm -hmm. products, Mm -hmm. content he creates, even his time. And guess what? You, listening to this podcast, you could also do those things. You could create a beautiful website. Why not? You know, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You know, they they all come, every single website on Squarespace comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize your prominence among search results. So when someone's Googling Carrie Poppy, you don't want them to get a dog named Carrie and a cat named Poppy. You want them to get you, Carrie Poppy. Mm -hmm. And Squarespace helps you do that. Well, I'm uninterested unless they have an online store. They do. They do. Meaning my website would have an online store? Your website could have a store where you sell shirts that say... I'm Ross, in that way that you say when I say Ross, is it? (laughs) That's right. You're kind of like, I'm Mark Sargent. I'm really upset because I lost that shirt. I had one that said, I'm Mark Sargent. You just got three. I don't know. (laughs) I just got three. Three are about to arrive to you in the mail by saying that on this podcast. Oh, maybe. You know, that that is a nice perk of (laughs) being on a podcast. People do send us free stuff. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I'm really bummed I'm missing that shirt. Size medium. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But with Squarespace extensions, you can connect your store to third-party tools and extend the functionality of your website. And they have something called Fluid Engine. And I know what you're thinking. That sounds like something that happens after I eat too much curry. But no, Fluid Engine is a next-generation website design system from Squarespace. It's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. You heard it here. It is impossible. You will get in the flow and it will be impossible for you not to make great art. That's right. Yeah. So start with a best in class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop or mobile. Whenever I hear drag and drop, I picture a dragon and it drops. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's much better. So if that's for you, Mm -hmm. I think it is, you're going to head to squarespace.com slash oh no for a free trial. And what do they do, Carrie, when they're ready to launch? Thanks for asking. Use offer code ONO, O-H-N-O, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace, eat your curry. Speaking of curry. Let's. What is that glowing figure that just walked in the door? Oh, that's an orb. It's a ghost orb. Okay. There was a man who died here at my house. Okay. And he's haunting it, and that's him. Hello. And But the great news is that he brings messages from the other side. No oh, personal space, buddy. Back, hello. Back up a little. Okay, hello. 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 What, what is this? the jumbotron. Whoa, whoa. There's something like coming out of the orb. Okay, I'm going to grab Here it. Here it is. Oh, but... Most ghosts speak their messages, but not me. I write them down. All right. I'm, I'm unfurling it here. Okay. Yes. Looks like it says... In a loud, clear voice. Here we are. Okay. Oh, it's addressed to Alyssa. Oh, okay. 
And it says, to my adventurous, binge-watching, state-visiting, and soon-to-be world-traveling partner in crime. Happy birthday, my incredible wife. Aw. Another year means more hilarious escapades, mouth-watering chef dinners, and tackling that never-ending movies and shows list together. Love you. And that's from Dano. I also love you. All right, ghost. Well, Alyssa, you got a lot of admirers. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you're doing life right. Yeah. Yeah, fun. Especially when your spouse calls themselves Dano. Yeah. Not Dano, not Dan. Dano. Dano. Yeah, well, I hope you have a wonderful birthday. Happy birthday! And uh, you know what, Alyssa? You Mm. should listen to this Maximum Fun show. Ooh. Throughout history, sirens have captured men's attention, enticed men with their feminine wiles, and fulfilled men's primal needs. The sirens allure Uh, persists. They have not. Unless the primal need is I need to be smashed on the rocks. Yeah, sm- smash me. Smash me, mommy. Smash me, mama. I smash me, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> the sirens are low. Why do we strand- do this to ourselves? Strand me, baby. Strand, strand me, me, baby. So, yeah, listen to my brother, my brother, and me for Maximum Fun on Mondays. It's just like that. Just like that, but more. It's just like that, but more of it. There's, there's this. More of that. Well, speaking of film, we have our in-house film critic and expert, <gasps> Drew Spears, the, here today. The Drew I'm going to scoot over because we have one microphone. Yes, the Drew Spears, my spouse, my sweetie pie. I feel like I should Welcome. say we do have more microphones. They're just not plugged in That's right now. That's true. In case some listeners are like, oh, these poor people, like they're <laughs> sharing one microphone. Welcome, Drew. Hey, what's up? Yeah, tell us about Sound of Freedom. I think what's most interesting about the success of Sound of Freedom will be the ramifications on whether or not Hollywood and distributors want to take bigger risks on Christian films. Mm. And I think it's interesting what you all talked about with like this kind of persecution of like they don't want to see us or like they don't want to see the film or Hollywood doesn't want to support Sound of Freedom. And, you know, they obviously extrapolate bizarre reasons behind that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think there's some truth there. There, like It clearly was a production that like no one really wanted to touch Fox, you know, it was made for $14 million. You know, Sony has their Christian arm. That seems to be around the size Mm. of kind of Christian movies in America, the big blockbuster ones. Interesting. You know, they don't don't get made for much more than that. And then they have modest success. Mm -hmm. Angel Films, which previously was a company that censored movies for then release, that they were then sued by companies. And they're still, I believe, paying off is rather large for creating bodlerized versions of the films so people could watch it without the swears and the nudity. Yeah. So like they've just been recently out of that litigation and into production and distribution themselves. They obviously picked this up for distribution. And I mean, I don't know how you view anything like this other than a huge victory for them and, you know, their causes, you know. Absolutely. You can say, oh, how many people really use those pay it forward tickets or something like that. But um, there's even examples since then of small indie distributors using pay it forward uh, promotional campaigns Hmm. for rather small documentaries and things like that that have cropped up. So Max Fun basically has a gift membership that's like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think I mean, you know, 
given how precarious going to theaters has been over the last several years and this being a strong summer, you know, with Barbie and Oppenheimer and other things, industry newspapers like Hollywood Reporter or The Ankler, you know, are more or less saying this is too big to be ignored. Mm-hmm. You know, these companies, you know, when when it previously was like a God's not dead that made, um, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but they didn't make the money of something like that. Then you can say like maybe the juice isn't worth the squeeze. But mm-hmm. now that they're seeing, you know, a movie go out for hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. I think you're going to start seeing some strange bedfellows. I think you're going to start seeing some of these bigger production arms, like kind of quietly doing productions and hoping that they can make their own Sound of Freedom. Yeah. I mean, even the success of Sound of Freedom, we were talking about how it's, it's not currently available on streaming. I maintain a big part of that is because, you know, it's they're still rolling it out internationally and it's still doing well internationally. And, you know, you keep the movie in the theater as long as you can and then you release it on streaming when there's no more juice in theatrical. But Angel Films also has had a big success with their TV show, The Chosen, which is about the Mm -hmm. birth of Christ. And like that is being aired on CW and Netflix and also was originally crowdfunded. So that's another thing for these distributors, even if they just want to use Angel Films as the production arm and then distribute it, it's like you're defraying your risk by already having a crowdfunded work, you know? Right, which reminds me, like, at the very end, they play this list of over 6,000 names of people who contributed to the making of the film. Whoa! I must not have seen that. Yeah, I think it was cut out of our theatrical experience. (laughs) Um. But it also turns out that one of those listed investors was Fabian Marta, who was charged with felony child kidnapping. Yeah, and of course, there's no way for them to be vetting all of these people. Yeah, you know, I'm not. No, that happens to indie film kickstarters all the time. <laughs> Their producers get nabbed for that. Wait, charged or convicted? Uh, charged with felony kidnapping. Let me see here. Uh, this is recent enough after the film came out that I don't think I, I imagine the uh, justice Awaiting system trial. still probably. I see. So I, I'm not faulting the film, but I'm, I'm thinking there must be some story where he thought like, oh, I'm wrestling with this demon. And, and apparently in since deleted tweets, he said something about how proud he was to be supporting the film and how this is an important issue. So maybe I, I'm picturing that he's thinking like, oh, well, this is my way of like trying to yeah. undo what I've maybe. done or something. Who knows? Maybe. But I think one of the interesting tensions here that will be going forward beyond just like, you know, Hollywood will absolutely become bedfellows with you know, any sort of group like this if it means that it's financially advantageous enough. Right, so, which makes those AMC conspiracies so silly because it's like, well, AMC's getting money. That's yeah, their well, business it, models, people coming to buy tickets. And I think that's what lies at the contradiction of this kind of like Christian new right media ecosystem is like one they i think mostly for accurate reasons recognize that you know it's that old axiom you know the right controls politics the left controls culture and they either side wants that reversed Mm. you know i think you know it drives uh certain swaths you know furious to not have like cultural cachet that's why you see the republican answer to the daily show every couple of years or you know these (laughs) big movie events 
And yet, at the same time, they also want to remain persecuted. They want to be able to say that Hollywood is is against us and stuff like that. So it will be interesting to see how those kind of two desires, one to be getting to have their own Hollywood ecosystem and also be able to call the Hollywood ecosystem full of like sicko pedophiles yeah. will remain because, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, I do think this movie, because of the subject matter, has a certain juice that like, you know, made people want to see it in a way that maybe their next production slate won't. But I mean, I do think they're hitting on something here and serving a market that has up until this point been relatively tokenized by, Mm. uh, you know, entertainment industry. You know, I would argue with good reasons. I don't particularly want those, you know, (laughs) values expressed. Well, it's funny because of all the people I know, you two probably watch the most Christian media. (laughs) Yeah. Of anybody. But but it, it does seem like this comes up every three to five years when there is some standout Christian mm-hmm. project. Yeah. But th- but there is a market for it. When... It's, it's a market for it. And like the fact that the movie is well made on a technical sense, it, it's not one of those films that you watch and you're like, oh, this is embarrassing. Like mm-hmm. the fact that it's like, you know, probably puts it at a tier above all the other Christian films. And then for me as a consumer of it, that takes all the juice and all the fun out of it. I found the experience of watching Sound of Freedom tedious and boring. <laughs> I would love loved it to be more conspiracy addled. It didn't really even function as an action movie. You know, most of Car- Carrie brought it up. It's like most of the movie, there's you know, it's just like we're going to do this big plot. It's like if like a heist movie was just them talking about the heist mostly. And also if like, you know, instead of like being cool oceans, 11s guys, it's like, uh, Jim Caviezel having a weird death stare and Bill Camp being, I thought he was the best actor in it, but just, you know, just being like, we have to do this. It just was like every five minutes, it was just like the same conversation of we have to do this for the kids. God's children's aren't for sale. And it's like, oh, you hours. said the catchphrase. Yeah, that's the catchphrase. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, there's a duck from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, guy, Carrie, I'd love to get your thoughts on like what you thought of this as a movie. Yeah, okay. Thank you, babe. Bye, babe. Thank you, Drew. All, yeah. all very good points from Drew. Yes, uh, thank you to Drew for reminding us that this is a movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I, I found it boring too, but I also find most action movies boring, and I think this does fit into that kind of action thriller category. Yeah, I would say it was technically well made. Yes, you know, like the lighting was good. It was. It's a dark film overall, but it's a dark subject, so that's not a, a complaint there. And uh, the acting was pretty good. Yeah, but also really slow and plotting. I think as Drew was suggesting as well, like really takes its time. You could have cut it down considerably, maybe cut in half the the glorious man shots of Jim Caviezel and, and that other handsome guy. Yeah, it really doesn't have like character development or interesting mm-hmm. turns even. It's just a very straightforward, we need to get the kids, we got the kids. I'm, I mean, there's plenty of built-in drama just with the situation and the subject matter because sure. of course you care about these kids and you want to see them escape and, and I, i'll admit like uh you know, watching this movie at the end is like yeah I, w- I want to go rescue children and oh wow and beat up bad guys that that sounds great let's cool, do it cool. let's get them high tea <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it worked on that level at least uh it was interesting at the end there's this plea from jim caviezel 
And and it even yeah. So in, in the in the credits, yeah, in the theater, like in the credits, it said in the lower corner, it said like important message coming up in you know two minutes and yes, fifteen seconds. That's right. And it did a little like uh, ticker like a, ticker tape. Yeah, like a countdown, countdown clock. There yeah. we go. I can't think of basic words right now. But yeah, then he pops up on screen, and it was this impassioned plea, like, "Hey, this is real. You need to contribute to this." You know, here's here's how you do this. And the real heroes, of course, are the children, the, the children of the heroes, not any of us, not the person I played. It just the children whose faces and names you have not seen. Sure. Yeah. Which, of course, they can't show us. But I don't know. There's something always a little, I don't know, falsely modest about that. Yeah, it did smack me as falsely modest. But then the other plea was to please get everybody to see this, Mm -hmm. buy tickets for others, telling about the whole pay it forward program and everything like that. And this might be a good moment to mention why Jim Caviezel specifically ties this film to what we've been talking about with like QAnon. Yeah. Okay. so, yeah, there is this conflation of this movie with QAnon. And at first, I thought that was unfair because Tim Ballard has pretty consistently, it seems to me, been like, no, that's not what we're into. We're not trying to push that narrative. No, we disagree. Yeah. Maybe not as vehemently as you or I might like, but it's at least like not espousing that. Yeah. The, I think the one thing that he said that kind of falls in that category is uh, he bought into the Wayfair conspiracy. <laughs> oh, no, that's a really obvious one. That, okay. That this furniture <laughs> oh, no. company was okay in coded ways selling children in their furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Wayfair, they have just what I need. I was like, is um, there more like a less ridiculous way to say that? But I don't think there no, is. No, no. Yeah, that was a really obvious one. And that's certainly calls his judgment into question. It, yeah, but he at least likes doesn't officially agree with that. But Jim Caviezel, yes, JC, by contrast, oh, is all up in it. Is a true believer and to the credit of the film's producers and like the director, like they've tried to distance themselves from this and like the film does not portray any of this stuff. It doesn't say anything about people drinking the blood of children right? or the Hollywood elites even. You know, there's one scene that took place in California where the pedophile was and maybe that's where the guy really was. So, you know, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that content was in the film at all. But if you get Jim Caviezel in front of a conference, let's, as he did with the Health and Freedom Conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Jim Caviezel talked about the adrenochroming of children. And okay. We, we've talked about this before, and he described it kind of in that interview where he said that the Hollywood elites, these sickos, these billionaires, they drink this thing called adrenochrome, and it's obtained from children when they're frightened. You said, you said a word a minute ago, and I, I want to clarify what that word was, because you said a word, and yeah. I want to make sure that you said adrenochrome. Yeah. And by yeah. a show of hands, who's heard that word before in this building? Could you please explain to the extent that you want to or not want to what that is? Because some people have never heard that before, and we need to discuss that. Um, essentially, you have adrenaline in your body. I'll just simplify it. And, and when you are scared, you produce adrenaline. Uh, if you're an athlete, you get in the fourth quarter, you have adrenaline that comes out of you. If a child knows he's going to die, uh, his body will uh, secrete this uh, adrenaline. Um, and they have a lot of terms that they use that he takes me through. But um, it's the worst horror I've ever seen is screaming alone, even if I never, ever, ever, ever saw it. 
it's 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 beyond and these people that do it um there'll be no mercy for them um it's uh this is one of the best films i've ever done in my life remove it from their blood somehow yeah i think like out of their brain and it's supposed to make you stay young and first of all adrenochrome is a real substance you don't need to get it from children i don't think that's even a way to get it you know there's a a much easier way to obtain adrenochrome and it's used in some countries for blood clotting but Mm. the way he described it and as QAnon tells it it's this drug that is and jim caviezel repeated this the whole adrenochrome empire that this is a big deal that's uh it is under listed under the nih it is uh is a chemical compound it's a molecular structure is uh c9h9no3 it is um it, it's an elite drug that they've used for many years it's 10 times more potent than um uh, heroin <laughs> Okay. Ten times more potent than heroin. All of that is based on absolutely nothing. It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. And it's very much akin to blood libel. I mean, just even the word potent doesn't make sense when you're crossing categories like that. I'm just Mm. immediately like, what are you measuring? Oh, you're not measuring anything, are you? My brain is caught up with doing this scientifically (laughs) and you've moved on, haven't you? Oh, yeah. You're just trying to create an emotion. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But anyway, sorry. So what came after that? Oh, that was to Steve Bannon, by the way. In another interview, he mentioned that it was 10 times as potent as heroin, that it's this elite drug. But yeah, zero evidence of this whatsoever. Yeah. Oh, 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 and I was starting to say it's a lot like the blood libel, like this mm. uh, idea from late antiquity that had a, a resurgence in the medieval period. This whole idea that the Jews were secretly absconding with Christian children mm. and then reenacting the crucifixion with them and taking their blood and using it to make their matzah. Oh, wow. Yeah, just absurd, always patently false things, you know, like a witch hunt where mm-hmm. the underlying claim isn't even true. Mm-hmm. At least in this case, child trafficking is a real phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Maybe the numbers are being inflated to, to make these points and maybe the perpetrators are being misrepresented. But yeah, in this case, the whole adrenochrome thing is like the blood libel and that it's just completely made up to create this other scary other. Mm-hmm. We should mention, you know, because you said uh, perhaps the perpetrators look different than what's in the movie. I think that's true. I think usually it's someone that the child knows. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tim Ballard has also made that point a lot. Like yeah. I was listening to his podcast where he was defending himself against mm-hmm. various accusations and he pointed to a number of other documentaries he's made and essays he's written and stuff where he makes that point pretty exhaustively. So I think he can't quite be accused on that angle. That's fair, though. I think well over 90% of the audience interacting with this project are just going to see the film. They're yeah. not They're not going to follow up, uh, look up other sources or read a bunch of articles like we've been doing. Uh, they're going to just like me going to want to either like go to another country and beat up bad guys and rescue these poor children or pay someone else who will go do that for them. And they get the wrong mental image of what most of this looks like. Uh Like you're saying, most of the time it's someone that the family knows. It's not just some creepy Mm -hmm. uh, stranger who's showing up out of nowhere. So it gets you kind of looking for the wrong target. Mm -hmm. And it's not in the film, but the implication that it's the Hollywood elite, it's the politicians who are the real child molesters, that gets all 
just wrapped up into this. And mm. that's, as far as I can tell, imaginary. At least it's not like to any extent that's greater than than pedophilia would be in the general population. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. There's no cabal. There we go. Mm-hmm, the, the, there's this whole belief in this cabal that doesn't exist. And yet... That's what gets passed around. I mean, yeah. There's always going to be small groups of people who work in any black market. So in that Mm -hmm. sense, you're going to find some circles of of people. Yeah. And yeah, then you find like your Jeffrey Epstein's. Right. That's what I'm I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Rich, well-connected billionaire. And uh, yeah, take them down. Right. I'm just saying like I could I could imagine I guess I always have trouble asking myself questions about conspiracies. I'm always like, well, it's a conspiracy. If you have three people trying to do something on the black market, I guess the three are conspiring. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I just. Right. But it always feels like a losing question to me to even try to answer. But it's orders of magnitude off from, I think, the mental picture that most Christians seeing this film and getting excited about it are picturing. Mm. And, and even though the film itself doesn't say this is representative of all cases, I think it, it's creating that impression. And it's okay. certainly not discouraging that impression. Well, the, the end does have a title card that, that yes. claims that there are more slaves alive today than slaves alive during the time when slavery was internationally legal. Um, yeah, of all time. Yeah. If you take all slaves of all time, most of them are alive. And currently in slavery. Uh, so I have a suspicion about this statistic. Yes. When I hear that, I hear, why are there more people getting cancer every year if our treatments are getting better? Mm-hmm. I hear, oh, there's probably a change in definition or spotting or regulating that is making it look like the phenomenon itself is growing when mm-hmm. actually the awareness of the phenomenon is growing or the definition of the phenomenon has yeah. widened. I think that. That's definitely at play here. Yeah, and and I I went and looked, and the age of consent laws in various countries have changed in the last decade in many places. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, most of the time, actually in all the cases I looked up, the age increased. None of them decreased it, right? So a lot of countries changing from like age 14 to 18 or age 16 to, in one case it was 20, which surprised me. So... That would mean then if one of the markers is being a minor and um, yeah, <laughs> then an older... Suddenly, by definition, we've just changed a lot of the same situations from one category to the next. To another, yeah. And maybe for good reason. But mm-hmm. it makes it look like you have an inflated slavery pool when actually you may just have a different definition of slavery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There were a lot of articles. It's interesting. Rolling Stone really did a lot of coverage on this film Mm -hmm. and um, addressed it from a variety of angles. But one was talking to people who work in child trafficking. Their job is trying to end it. And, And there was a kind of a constant refrain of like this false perception creates problems because then when people are looking at legislation that might change the situation, they're not addressing like the 80% of the situation. They're addressing the 5% of the mm, situation. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. we already mentioned like, you know, most of the perpetrators are people that the children know. Also that not all of them are super young children. Like the film might lead you to believe that it's all about kids who are like 11 to 14 because that gets like the biggest response from people. Like the, the protagonists were, I think, like 10 and 11, 9, 11, something like that. But, you know, most are 15 to 17, which doesn't make it better. It's just, you know, again, the, the perception is slightly shifted. 
all of these notes were just to say it's more complicated mm-hmm. than what the movie would lead you to believe. Makes sense. That there's these mustache twirling bad guys everywhere doing this all the time. And then the numbers they give, I think just listening to various interviews with Tim Ballard alone, I've heard like 10 million. I've heard 8 million. I've mm-hmm. heard 2 million. And then sometimes it'll be like people in slavery and then it'll be like people who are being trafficked. And then you realize that like uh, some of them, maybe most of them are having organs removed. And so it's like a different category from the sexual side. Lord. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw that about organ harvesting. I really want to know if that's veridical. Indeed. And then bigger numbers about forced sex work will get kind of blended with the numbers about the ages involved. Anyways, all of this is to say, you know, like, of course, none of this is okay, but the perception is, again, being blown out of proportion. And so you said that you were able to find some statistics. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I jumped on Harvard's research library yesterday and I was like, I'm going to look for peer reviewed articles about. Uh, the prevalence of child sex trafficking. And boy, hard to find a clear answer. It actually reminded me quite a bit of the research that I've done in like false memory Mm. uh, and mistaken accusation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that I sense this sort of reticence in how the researchers are speaking and maybe not wanting to be accused of downplaying a real problem, Mm -hmm. but still rein in the statistics specifically so that we can study it without statistical noise and actually understand the size of the problem so that we can articulate a solution that actually works. Um, What I was able to find was a study in 2022 from a journal called Trauma, Violence, and Abuse. And I don't know this journal, but it was a literature review where they looked at other studies and um, tried to see what kind of prevalence they could estimate. And basically, their conclusion was like, the research that exists, the sampling is so poor that you probably shouldn't derive anything from it. Oh, wow. Yeah. This was basically encouraging different experts from different disciplines to try to attack this issue because so few are. Yeah, so I wasn't able to get a very clear answer there. Then I I was able to find a report from Ohio. Um, It was the only state I found that just gave like a clear number, and they were able to find 1,035 adults and children in trafficking the year that they did the study, which I want to say was 2019. In Ohio? In Ohio. Okay. 1,035. 13% of those were children. Mm-hmm. And most of them were not sex trafficking. It was some other kind of trafficking. Okay. So you're getting... So the, the number in my head was whittling down to somewhere around like uh, like under a dozen okay. um, children that they were able to find in Ohio. Mm. Uh, this is a much older statistic, but in 2005, the U.S. State Department reported that 600,000 to 800,000 people were trafficked across international borders per year with about 50% of those being children. Okay. So, you know, that requires some movement as well, mm-hmm. even, you know, for that number. Uh, and that's okay. many years ago. Maybe people would say that the problem has increased since then. And that was adults and children, sex trafficking and labor trafficking? Yeah, it just said traffic. So yeah. Yeah, it didn't break out sexual traffic there. So, you know... Because labor trafficking is the far larger category. Right, right. So, you know, you see these big numbers, but even then we're talking about half a million yeah. internationally. Yeah, yeah. But then when you see the film and it mentions like 10 million, you know, you, you get this mental image that's it's not quite right. 
Yeah, yeah. And then and then statistical noise becomes a real problem when you're actually trying to research these things and find a solution. These aren't just like, you know, conversational points to make as we're fighting our right wing or left wing uncles. <laughs> like, right. like we there are actual experts like trying to go and help kids. Yeah. And we don't want to mess this up for them <laughs> by stating the problem wrong. Right. Yeah. And I think that is a huge point, which is that like a lot of these Hashtag save the children efforts don't actually save children, you mm-hmm. know, and, and people are getting kind of distracted by this thing that much like blood libel, I think, was intended to do makes people really upset when you hear about like, what are they doing to children? This is horrible. You don't mm-hmm. do that to children. Mm-hmm. Uh, understandable, but it kind of hijacks your rationality and it steals your focus from other things. And and I feel like that's kind of been used as a political ploy here to get you not to be so concerned about the breaking up of your labor union or mm. you know, the price of groceries or whatever <laughs> it is, you know, that you're more fixated on the children. Mm-hmm. Because if that's happening, yeah, you're going to be upset about it and want to stop above all other things. Yeah. So this brings up a- another issue that I was saying to you earlier today. I-, I really think that when we look at something as you know, uniquely horrifying as child sex abuse, moral panic will almost always ride along the top of it. Mm. And we will have to just deal with these things in duality. We will have to just learn like, oh, moral panic will travel with certain concerns. Mm. That's okay. <laughs> We're just going to notice it. We're mm-hmm. going to use an inhale, exhale strategy to deal <laughs> with it. You know, like, oh, whoops, we went a little too far in the moral panic area this time. Mm-hmm. Pull it back. Oh, we went a little too far in looking the other way this time. Pull it back. You know, we're going to have to learn yeah. <laughs> that these things travel together when we're talking about like extremely vulnerable populations that need other people to speak up for them. The other people will sometimes develop paranoia as a tactic. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think like this has been politically weaponized because it is an easy way to whip up the base and get these conspiratorial fears. And especially when you have voices introducing this whole idea of this cabal and all the seediness that's going on and being approved of by Joe Biden and that he himself is complicit in all of this. I was taking note of a lot of the people who have promoted this film. You had Trump screen this film at his Bedminster club. Wow. Yeah, and promoted it on his Truth Social platform. <laughs> Again, I keep forgetting about Truth Social. I have an account. And every- you do? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. You told me this. Oh, yeah, screaming into the echo chamber. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I never I never got around to making a Twitter account, but I do I do occasionally go make fun of Donald Trump. <laughs> That's great. Um I'm sorry, what's Twitter? Uh, X. Sorry. Oh, yeah. X, yes, of yeah, course. Formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> and and of course Trump is always flirting with QAnon and like just dropping just enough to placate the people who are really into it without fully embracing it. Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker uh, in Congress, held a screening of the movie for members of Congress. This is so interesting. It's like the Bible. Looking at the actual source material, I'm like, how much are you getting out of this? But, oh, right, it's not the actual source material. It's the cultural baggage added Mm -hmm. on to the source material that's actually being communicated right right so it's like the film itself is not the biggest problem here i think it's Mm -hmm. it is all this baggage Mm -hmm. that rides alongside it and it's getting used elon musk also on x promoted saying that like this film should be hosted here free so that people can watch it Mm. that was one of his x's i don't know what do we call these things tweets i don't even 
did the movie people like the idea of it being shown on X for free? I would think they'd be like, that's our IP. We don't want that. Yeah, he, Elon Musk mentioned something about like, we won't keep any of the profits. So maybe there was some way of monetizing this. I see. I'm not sure. Interesting. Uh, okay. I don't think it was a full-fledged idea. It was just that, let, let me put this out to millions sure, of people. Sure, sure. I'm, uh, I'm Elon Musk. Mel Gibson has spoken up in favor of the film. Ben Shapiro, Tim Tebow. Yeah, it's, it's got its, you know, set of supporters mm-hmm. in the media as well. And and that's always riding alongside this um, conspiracy angle. I feel like they're often passionate about this because they see this larger cultural issue wrapped right. up with the film. Right. And Jim Caviezel, again, when he's going off on all of his adrenochrome stuff and all of that, he'll also talk about the central banks, the IMF, the Rothschild banks, <laughs> you know, this anti-Semitic stuff uh-huh. that's just kind of crept into um, his this is language. Mel-, Mel Gibson? No, this um, Jim Caviezel. But oh, might as well be Mel Gibson. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're good buddies, Catholics, very similar. Oh, um, Ted Cruz also encouraged people to watch it. Okay. Of course. You, you know who Marjorie Taylor Greene is, right? I do. Okay. So she had an interview with Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes. Well, maybe we should explain who she is for people oh, yeah. who don't. An American congresswoman. From Georgia. Strange. Strange. That's generous. Thank you. So generous. Yeah. She has spoken of Jewish space lasers and Gazpacho police, and she's just... Um, strange. Strange. So yeah. charitable. Yeah. She's out of her depth. She should not be a mm-hmm. representative of anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, she should just be the crazy cousin that you see on Facebook. And then you could just be like, she's strange. Yeah. But now she's creating trouble for everyone, especially because she has political power, but uh, she had a interview with Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes uh, where she said, the Democrats are a party of pedophiles. Okay. Leslie tried to push back a little bit and say, okay, how so? And she said, well. I would definitely say so. They support grooming children. They are not pedophiles. Why would you say that? Democrats, Democrats support, even Joe Biden, the president himself, supports children being sexualized and having transgender surgeries. Sexualizing children is what pedophiles do to children. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. more hate on transgender people. All, all of this, I think, just gets absorbed by the same public and uh, conflated. Yeah, I see she's um, sponsored or introduced the Protect Children's Innocence Act, which would block the purpose of changing the body of an individual to correspond to a sex that differs from the individual's biological sex. She is uh, inconceivably low on my list of favorite people. Mm-hmm. So, But she made it! She made it? What, she's Congress? She's on the list? Oh, if it includes all people on the planet, <laughs> yes. Okay, 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 got it. Okay. <laughs> you also sent me a, a video of Tim Ballard, like, comparing child sex trafficking to um, uh, having a trans kid and allowing them to transition as a child. Oh, yeah. He was on this horrible rant about, I guess he was talking about some group in the Netherlands that he's really against that he feels are like trying to approve the sexualization of children. Mm. And he said that like their platform is they include things like separate children from parents because parents are bad influence. The state knows best sexualize kids. Let them see pornography Two, Karl Marx. three, take God out of education because that mm-hmm. just gets in the way. And, and kids consent, consent, consent. Children can consent to anything at 12 years old. They should be able to vote. They should be able to do anything. Now, what am I seeing here? I'm, I'm, my stomach is getting sick as I'm reading this. I read this every day. It's the woke left agenda. 
I'm not saying that they're colluding or talking. It doesn't matter. It's the same dark source. But they are ped- pedophiles are sitting back right now going, we've been pushing this agenda for decades. And now we don't have to push anymore because the left is taking care of for us in America. In America. And, and, and this whole trans voice on children. You know, again, I'm libertarian. Adults, do what you want. I'll fight for your right to do whatever you want. Okay? In terms of adult, I'm talking about children. And, and what they're saying is children can consent to having their bodies filled with a chemical that will destroy the reproductive system. Yeah. They can consent to ripping apart their genitalia. Like, this is insanity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not great. Yeah, yeah. Tim, um, Tim, <laughs> what you doing? Yeah, there's this other aspect that we haven't talked about, which is like the paramilitary piece of this. So, yes. you know, going into another country with your armed friends <laughs> yeah. um, when you like used to be a cop can be legally murky <laughs> yeah well yeah and ethically you know and i am not prepared to say that vigilante justice has no place in the world i'm not ready to make that kind of statement or to say we should always turn to an institutional solution for these things mm-hmm. i think people will always do this i think there will always be rogue actors who take these things into their own hands and we mm. will never know exactly how to feel about them. And this film's only going to encourage more of that. Perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. But it's interesting to me that like, even if it's sort of on like an animal level, that at the end you did kind of, you did feel that kind of swell of like, I'm going to go and help the kids. Yeah. I'm, I didn't have any response like that. Really? Okay. I yeah. mean, it did get my hackles up to, yeah. to see that, even knowing that like, for example, I saw written that uh, Tim Ballard has never claimed that the original inciting incident in the film about the brother and the sister ever happened. Right. You know, but seeing that, yeah, it makes you upset mm-hmm. because you can imagine that. And and that's one of his main uh, lines in the film. And I guess originally it was said by a father, of a, a different child from a different case to him. But like, how would you be able to sleep if this happened to your child? And, you know, if you can picture it happening to someone in your life, you you can get upset about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was another point in the film where, like, he was trying to get this wealthy financier to help him set up the island to uh, catch all of the, the predators and rescue the children. And the guy was like, no, I'm not doing this. And so then he left him one final picture of the girl and said, all right, don't think about the 50 children. Think about the one. Mm. And that got the guy to sign on like, okay, you got me. Yes, Mm. let's do this. Mm. It's not just a statistic. So, yeah. I mean, 50 is still pretty. You can see 50 faces. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. This pulls on uh, some deep emotions. Yeah, I I guess so. I didn't, I wasn't really feeling anything watching this. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what to make of that, but I wasn't really. Well, that's it for our show. (laughs) I mean, I I just, when I hear stories like that, mm-hmm. my mind goes, you don't have that story clear. Mm. You have mm-hmm. no idea what happened there. Mm. Wonder what everyone else said. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and I just, it gets filed away as like, you have no new information. Okay. Because you're able to stop it and start questioning how reliable is the source? Did this really happen? But not everybody is equipped with that. Sure. Fun fact, Angel Films... Mm-hmm. As Drew was mentioning, originally created as a uh, like a content filtering company, like they sell you the cleaned up versions of films, was founded by two Mormon brothers. Oh, and I watched some of their productions. <gasps> I watched one TV show called 
freelancers. Oh, yeah. That was absolutely just the Mormon version of the show Detroiters. Okay. If anybody's seen that. Which you told me I would like. You'd love Detroiters. Okay. We love it. Okay. And I think you'd love it. Oh, nice. Um, but, but it turns out Mormon Detroiters, very slightly different from regular Detroiters, which is already just endlessly chipper. Still good? You know, I would say still pretty okay. okay. Still pretty okay. Not as good as Detroiters, but pretty okay. All right. Yeah. And then I also watched a little bit of their stand-up comedy channel. Not as okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, it's hard to get up there on that stage. Sure. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> hey, kudos to you for doing it. Absolutely. Well, well, there you have it, folks. That sound of freedom for you. Okay. Yeah, the, the movie itself... Fine. Go ahead, watch it. Yeah, kind of boring. Like, not even particularly bad in an interesting way. Maybe you'll be able to buy it on Voodoo in December, I think was the closest okay. I saw to like a legit... Voodoo? Yeah, it's one of those streaming services. Never heard of it. Oh, interesting. V-U-D-U. Huh. Uh, maybe it'll get released somewhere else. I don't know. Or you can go spend $15.39 to see it in Van Nuys. Uh, there was still there was still like a decent sized group there too. Like there were, you know, the theater was almost half full. Yeah, I'll say, and it was a small theater, so like thirteen to sixteen people uh, behind me um, while I was furiously taking notes in the second row. But it's, uh, you know, like we said, it might get your hackles up, it might not, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. depending on whether you're a Ross or a Carrie. <laughs> it's not just the film itself; it's all the cultural baggage that rides alongside it. Right. Related to a lot of things that we've talked about. Yeah, it's interesting. So I feel like I, I was listening to Ballard's podcast and he was defending himself and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of on your side about this piece of it. You mm-hmm. know, like, I think you've been a bit railroaded in the fact check process. A lot of people just like looking at PR speak for the first time and being like, well, this is a little simplified. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he made a very good point there that oftentimes people would say, well, it didn't say this in the court transcript. And he was saying, well, you don't put all the details in the court transcript. I was there. Mm-hmm. And then again, you do see that sometimes he will exaggerate a story. So it makes you wonder mm-hmm. how much of the stories that, you know, no one was present for were exaggerated. You'll often see like in documentaries about them or uh, specials, like there will be footage of these rings happening and these arrests and stuff. And I found out in my reading that like those are usually volunteers with their organization who are recreating something like that. But it's kind of pitched mm. as like, oh, look, here's the thing. And, and I remember mm. looking at some of that thing like, wow, how did they get that clear of footage? Yes, totally. Yeah. He played something. I was watching a talk he gave at BYU and he's mm. like, here's some footage of my uh, wife adopting our kids. And it's like this highly produced. It goes out of from like black and white to color. And like, I was <laughs> like, what? This is, <laughs> this is just how it happened huh <laughs> um but yep. yeah it seems like he's putting a lot of operation underground railroads finances into producing basically beautiful films of his family <laughs> <laughs> so that we all realize you know the um how his kids came out of this yeah. system and are all better and you know so it's supposed to be this sort of allegorical tale you, you just reminded me of something else if you watch the film just pay attention to how much he actually interacts with his real biological children <laughs> in the film Almost not at all. I don't think he actually exchanges <laughs> words with his own children. Yeah, they just show up at one point. Yeah, I was like, like, oh, I guess these are your new siblings. He, he has breakfast next to them at one point, and I don't think says anything to them. So he's just in the film, he comes across as a very absent parent. One of those people, like when you see the film, where like this guy is a great communicator and, and teacher, but like abandons his own children right, and they right. don't know who he is. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, very hook. You know, at some point, you have to cut something out of the film, but you could have cut 
cut some of the long lingering stairs. Oh my stairs. god, it's too long. Yeah, yeah, and added more interaction with the family. Uh, whatever. Uh, I won't. I won't Monday morning quarterback that. So, uh, so there you go. And uh, if you choose to see it, well, I hope you uh, enjoy. Is not the right word. I hope you get yeah, something out of it. You can enjoy it if you want. I'm no, okay with it if you enjoy it. Terry won't judge. You me. can email me if you enjoy it, and I if you will. just felt neutral, you can email Ross. <laughs> if you disliked it, I don't know. Email Drew. Hey, this was fun. This was fun. That was our lukewarm review of a pretty bad movie. Yeah, I was like, meh. I, yeah. I, I don't know what I'm going to give it. I haven't rated it on Letterboxd yet. Maybe I'll give it like a two and C a half minus. or three stars. It's out of five stars. Yeah, I give it a C minus. Okay. Did you see Barbie? I'll give it three stars. I did. Yeah, you didn't like Barbie. Oh, did you like it? Yeah. Oh, I had my a, God. I had a good time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. D plus. All right. Maybe. <laughs> Carrie's always got an interesting take. <laughs> Well, that's it for our show. <laughs> our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. This episode was edited by Ross Blotcher. Very quickly. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our movie habits by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Thank you to everybody who does support us there at MaximumFun.org slash join. I'm saying it again so they'll remember. Good. Because they got to their browser and they're like, shoot, what did she say? Yeah. Oh, thank goodness Ross slash said what? it again. Slash what? Slash what? <laughs> What's the word? <laughs> Uh, but you can also support us by telling a friend, leaving a positive review. Yes, you can. Or you can get a tattoo across your forearm that says, listen to Ona Ross and Carrie, my favorite podcast. Thank you for reading my tattoo. Oh, man. If you actually do that, you got to send it to us. We'll be very impressed and feel guilty. A little regret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very impressed. A little sorry. And remember. So... Don't know if any one of you have already been to see The Sound of Freedom, but my friends and I just walked out. Hi. And we are curious what your experiences were in the movie theater because we pre-ordered our tickets, paid for them, they were claimed, got the link sent, and this is an AMC theater in Pineville, North Carolina. Some point today, the tickets got refunded to my friend and we couldn't figure out why, so we come anyways to the theater after dinner and they're like oh well we refunded all the tickets because there's no air conditioning in our theaters okay whatever we don't care are you still showing it yeah you can you can still watch it so we get to thinking why did they not send out a notice in the email saying hey we refunded your tickets because there's no air conditioning um and we just are curious why they why why didn't they let us know there was no one in that theater there was us four and four other people eight people in the theater on a friday night there was air conditioning in the lobby there was air conditioning in the hallways there was air conditioning in the bathrooms not the theaters they don't have the bartender or anything in the theater I smell something stinky, and I think it's shit. <laughs> the Legend of Zelda 
Frontiers of the Kingdom. Diablo 4. Final Fantasy 16. Street Fighter 6. Baldur's Gate 3. Starfield. Spider-Man 2. Master Detective Archives Raincoat for Nintendo Switch. No, is that just me? (laughs) (laughs) It's a huge time for video games. You need somebody to tell you what's good, what's not so good, and what's amazing. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. We're the hosts of Triple Click, a video game podcast for anyone who likes games. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.